Have you heard some of the great insights from guests on Gangry the Podcast? Insights like... I've never had an editor throw an idea at me to write anything before. I always ask myself with yeah, stories, and, and I, I had the same going question. through the Bokov's archives. It has a question mark in my Imagine head I'm on your shoulder and that you're wearing a GoPro. Here is uh, carefully and Every single meticulously. about the whole Bundy story was just so interesting. It was a really weird one to write because every time I tried to outline... became a viral sensation, right? Like, it was the story. You cannot, you cannot do these stories. Or how, we, uh, how we understand the world. They're how we share our experiences. Believe it or not, Gangry the Podcast is now in its ninth year. In all that time, the best narrative journalists have told us how they report and write their stories. You can still listen to every single episode. They're on our website, along with links to all of the stories and books that we've talked about. You can find it all at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. For this episode, I talked with Hannah Smith. Smith is the reporter, writer, producer, and host of the first season of a new podcast called The Opportunist. That first season was focused on a woman named Sherry Schreiner, the leader of an online cult that believed most humans were alien reptiles out to kill them. Sherry Schreiner um, was this Midwest woman, Midwest mom, I like to say Midwest mom turned diabolical cult leader. She started her sort of following, gathering followers on the internet around like 2005. So this was like early 2000s. Now we think about internet cults and it's not so unusual, but she was really kind of a pioneer in that way. The Opportunist is produced by Cast Media. As a podcast, it will focus on true stories of regular people who turned sinister simply by being opportunistic. The second season is set to start in June. Smith got started in the world of podcasting at Maximum Fun, working on comedy and interview podcasts. She worked on a parenting show called Bad Mother, as well as the award-winning courtroom comedy Judge John Hodgman. She's worked in almost every kind of genre of podcasting, including news, comedy, audio drama, and narrative nonfiction. So I live in Los Angeles, and when I was first living in Los Angeles, I had a totally different job. I was working in a very different field, and it was fine, but I wasn't, I don't know, it was, I just wasn't thrilled with it. And part of my job was that I had to spend a lot of time in my car driving around Los Angeles doing like errands, and um, I would just listen to podcasts constantly. I was listening to podcasts all the time, and it was like my happy place because I didn't love my job, and I didn't... I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And then one day a friend of mine was like, well, you're a writer and you love podcasts. So why don't, have you ever thought about making podcasts? And I was like, huh, that seems super obvious. As usual, I've linked to several of the podcasts that Smith has worked on, on our website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Hannah, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to talk with you. I reached out to you um, after listening to, I think, the first two episodes of the first season of The Opportunist, uh, which is focused on a woman named Sherry Schreiner. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that shortly. But um, before that, can you tell me about The Opportunist in general and what this show ultimately is going to be focused on? Yeah. So The Opportunist is a is a true crime podcast from Cast Media. Um, and the, the, the idea of the show is that we look at true stories, but through the lens of opportunity. So um, I think a lot of times true crime is portrayed like criminals are portrayed in this way that they're very much other. You know, we like to think of them as somehow even genetically different than the rest of us, right? We like to separate ourselves and say, oh, they're psychopaths, they're, you know, there's something really wrong with them. And obviously maybe sometimes that's true, but I think it's really interesting to look at um, the ways in which we're similar. And so we try to um, tell stories and we look at how things started. So um, how someone started down the path that led them to doing something sinister or criminal and the opportunities that they took advantage of in order to get there. Um, and so that's, that's sort of, uh, that that's the idea of the show, and we are, you know, we're kind of like we're a seasonal model, but we're we are also going to be introducing individual stories. So, um, but it's you know it's a reported, you know, written um, um, stories. Yeah. Uh, how did the idea for this show come about? Yeah. So actually, I came on board, and they already had the general idea for the opportunist cast. Cast media did. Um, our executive producer and CEO of Cast Media, Colin Thompson, is the one that originally came up with this idea about looking at crimes through an opportunistic lens. And then when I came on board, um, we helped. I, we kind of we worked together to sort of uh, flesh out the idea and and turn it into what could be an actual show. Uh, so let's let's start talking about um, this first season, um, which is which is focused on, I guess, the first opportunity, and that's Sherry Schreiner. Um, before we we actually start talking, though, I'd like to listen to the trailer uh, uh, for that season. Great. Now on with your emergency. My boyfriend, he, he had a gun and he grabbed me and he told me he'll press this trigger. Oh my God! He's dead. Woman who claims her boyfriend wanted her to kill him because of problems with an online cult pleaded not guilty today in the Poconos. Sherry Schreiner was an ordinary woman who believed the world was ending and that she had the key to salvation. She created an army of warriors to fight beside her in the spiritual battle between God and Satan, which ultimately resulted in murder, suicide, and mind control. How does a poor woman in a cow town with practically nothing inspire mankind to stand up against the strongholds of Satan to the point where he is burning out of the sky? What would it take for a regular person, someone like you or me, to turn into a maniacal cult leader with no regard for human life. We did it, folks. We did it. 
From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist, a podcast about regular people who turn sinister simply by embracing opportunity. Okay, so tell me what this first season and, and uh, tell me a little bit about Sherry Schreiner and what this season, this first season's about. Sherry Schreiner um, was this Midwest woman, Midwest mom. I like to say Midwest mom turned diabolical cult leader. Um, and she was, uh, so it's, it's about this woman, Sherry Schreiner, who um, started sort of an online cult and, and gathered followers. But I think what's really interesting about it is that she was a purely internet cult. She did meet up with some of her followers, but it was, this was, she started, um, she started her sort of following, gathering followers on the internet around like 2005. So this was like early 2000s. Now we think about internet cults and it's not so unusual, but she was really kind of a pioneer in that way. And she was also just a regular lady. She was just a mom. She was raising three kids, four, sorry. She was raising four kids um, in Ohio. Um, and she, she sort of gathered existing um, internet conspiracy theories and picked and choose and like sort of created her own her own like ideology. So she believed in aliens. She believed in reptilians. She believed that uh, the whole world was, was run by this new world order. And then she blended that with like Christian end times predictions. She was very like, she often referenced Revelation, the book of Revelation and the end of the world. So she was constantly prophesying the end of the world. And she mixed that with existing conspiracy theories and created her own sort of religion. Um, and, you know, that could be all fine and whatever. People can believe whatever they want to believe. But I guess where it becomes sinister is that um, multiple deaths were, were sort of linked with her with her organization, as well as other people who it became clear that she was controlling their lives financially, controlling their romantic lives. So um, she was using her power to manipulate her followers. How did you, uh, how did, how did cast media and those are you, cause I know you came on board after this was originally started to plan. How did, how did she come? Uh, how did any, how did anybody know about her and, and start thinking that this might be worth um, uh, doing a show on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure actually how they originally found her, her story. Um, I just know, like when I came on board, they had, uh, they had found her and said, there's this woman named Sherry Schreiner. Um, and as soon as I started looking into Sherry Schreiner, it became clear immediately to me that this was a really fascinating story that needed to be told. Mm -hmm. And, and she had already passed away by the time the recording on this started, right? Yeah, she had, she passed away in January of 2018. And we started working on this in 2020. So um, what what was it about about her story that really grabbed your attention and made you want to like kind of dig in and, and tell uh, tell the story? Yeah, I think that I think it's really it's Sherry herself that drew me in. Um, I feel that she is this sort of perfectly complicated person 
which is intriguing when you when you're telling a story about someone because she's not um, all bad and there are, she has there's a lot of very problematic things in, in the things that she she believed and that she or at least uh, she claimed to believe but you know she's also just so clearly human and there's hours and hours of sherry talk radio her podcast that she did available online and so when I started to listen to those radio shows, I was just fascinated. Like I couldn't stop listening to her talk. And she just, she doesn't sound polished. She doesn't sound like some genius, you know, manipulator. She oftentimes was clumsy. She mispronounced words. Um, she was just so human. I think that's what really intrigued me about her story. Um, and yet she also, you know, I, I was, I got really curious and fascinated to understand, to try to understand what happened and how she ended up where she was, like how she was just, just this person, you know, in the Midwest who had, you know, a very uh, rudimentary understanding of the internet and started, you know, getting involved online. And then, and then her name was tied to multiple deaths. Mm -hmm. So I guess that question of how does that happen really intrigued me. And then the idea that as far as tape goes, we just had so many hours of her talking, which is like so lucky when you're doing a story about someone who's passed away, right? Usually you have to tell that story just through the voices of other people that that knew that person. But we had Sherry's voice, you know, also to use. So that was that was really amazing. How many hours of her show did you end up listening to? Oh my gosh, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, probably more than is healthy, to be honest. But um, you know, I kind of got into this routine where I would wake up and just start like listening to her shows, and um, it was honestly it was a little overwhelming because her shows go back to 2005, and she was doing at least one a week. And then as the time went on, she started doing two and then at the end, three shows a week. So there, there's a lot of content. Um, but fortunately, she had different followers of hers, including, I think this is one of the things that Kelly Pengilly did for her um, for free. Um, but she, would, she had multiple followers transcribe her shows for free. And a lot of the transcripts are um, online. So not all of them. There's a few years where you know, there's, there's missing pieces, but, um, that was super helpful because I could, if, you know, later down the line, when I was like, oh, I need a clip of her talking specifically about, you know, UFOs and orgone, I could go through the transcripts and find, find those pieces and then listen to the corresponding radio show. So that was a huge help. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, how could you like, organize all that right in terms of all the coding that would have to be done so you would know what to pull from where and i imagine the transcripts that would have just been amazing oh it was like it was a huge help seriously um it would it would have been so much more work without those it was still a lot of work and my associate producer um who worked with me on this whole, whole season one and was a huge um asset to the show um, we created a Google sheet and with just tons of links to different Sherry talk radio episodes and time codes and con you know, this is a, 
a whole section, tons of links of her talking about the end of the world. And then, you know, um, so we have a pretty massive Google sheet um, going on that. So that was helpful as well. But yeah, it was, it was a, it was a lot. A lot, a lot to deal with. So, I mean, obviously listening to and making notes and, and paying attention and categorizing uh, her show is a big part of the reporting, but there's way more. It's not only based on that. Can you talk about the other types of reporting that had to be done to pull this entire thing together? Yeah. So a lot of it was doing interviews. Um, so we found people that had been involved um, ex, you know, ex Oregon warriors, current Oregon warriors, um, other people who knew Sherry. Um, let's see who else I spoke with. Um, a uh, several attorneys who were involved with Barbara Rogers' trial. Um, a bunch of different people. So a lot of it was, you know, finding people to interview, setting up those interviews, as well as just um, doing a bunch of research as far as the story goes. And, um, you know, some of it is like just looking at people's Facebook profiles. I mean, I've spent so much time on Facebook trying to find um, people messaging people requesting interviews through Facebook. Um, and then, you know, another amazing thing about, about doing this story is that, um, everything happened on the internet, not everything. The Oregon trips, Oregon missions were the only things that happened, you know, in real life. And those are, I don't have as much information about, about those events because there wasn't a lot of documentation. Uh, there was that one YouTube video that one of her followers made that we found about the Oregon missions that was pretty amazing. But um, because most of Sherry's interactions with the Oregon warriors happened online on Facebook and a lot of it happened on Sherry Shriner's personal Facebook page, which is still up and um, available for anyone to look at. So that was an incredible resource. I spent a lot of time on her Facebook page reading old posts. Um, when I was researching the story of um, Kelly Pengilly, the young woman who died in 2012, who was a follower of Sherry Shriner's, you know, her Facebook page was no longer up, but you know, they talked, there was mention of her on Sherry Shriner's Facebook page back in 2011, 2012. So it was a lot of just like looking through <laughs> archives on Facebook. Um, most of the, most of the research we did, we did on the internet. Um, we all, but I guess the only thing that was not on the internet is that we requested, um, court transcripts for, um, Barbara Rogers trial and like read through all of that. And, and the tape of her police interview. But everything else, I think, was just done on the internet. You did some interviews um, with some of the people who um, described themselves as Orgone warriors or, or, or were part of Sherry Shriner's group at one point in time. Um, and, you know, when I'm listening, like I, some, so, to, to an outsider, right, so much of some of the stuff that they say and that Sherry would say on her show seems like, crazy what's it like when you're interviewing someone like that to to not just say that's crazy you know what i mean yeah 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 for sure um well i guess this also speaks to sort of my broader approach to the story it 
it's so easy to tell a story about someone that believes something different from you and to say, this is a crazy person. That's the most, that's the simplest way to tell that story, right? I think it's an incredibly uninteresting way to tell a story because oftentimes it's not true. Um, and so I just tried to bring that sensibility into this story and um, take people seriously. But I also made it very clear to everyone that I talked to what I believed and that I didn't believe any of what anything that Sherry said, you know, I made that very clear. Sometimes I had to say that multiple times, um, but I just didn't want anyone to think that I was, I didn't want to mislead any, any of the Oregon warriors because, and, and let them think that maybe I would be interested in, in joining because what happens when you like, what happened many times talking with um, the Oregon warriors is that because I reached out and showed interest, they started to try to, minister to me and um, kind of try to bring me in. And so I had to draw very clear boundaries and say, no, I'm doing research for a story. Um, but yeah, you know, actually everyone I talked to was very friendly, um, happy to like have a conversation with me and, and um, I had a good experience. So, you know, it's just, that's really interesting, I think, because, you know, they would say things that I was like, wow, this is so out there. I can't believe you think this is true. But then they're also really nice people. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I enjoy about um, this the series, uh, or the season, is that you were able to kind of present it in that way, right? That this is what they think, uh, and and not necessarily. Um, uh, it, it makes the listener think about it, right? At least I'm, I'm guessing that's what you were hoping for as well. Um, yeah. Uh, I think early on in this season, maybe the second episode, you mentioned something about your own experience in a religious group mm. at one point mm -hmm. in time. Um, can you talk about that? Like how that kind of fit in there? I thought it might actually show up a little bit more later in the show. Um, but, but I don't know if it did, but, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always like, a question of how much information to give my my goal for telling my personal some of some personal information about my religious history in that particular part was to try to bridge the gap of understanding for any listeners who might not have had that experience or understand it um i told uh i told i, I mentioned my personal um experience in the Kelly Pengilly episode. Kelly Pengilly was a um, young woman, early 20s, who believe, who got involved with Sherry Schreiner and got really swept up in it and believed very much that, um, she came to believe that she was um, this sort of special class of um, follower of God who was an angel who had been born in heaven and as a result had had all of these um, trials and tribulations on earth because of her status. And um, we see it many times that this was a way, I think, for some of Sherry's followers to sort of um, deal with their own maybe trauma or personal struggles that they had in their life. It was a better interpretation to say, oh, actually, I am um, so special to God that that's why the devil is attacking me so much. Um, so my... Uh, I, I grew up in a very religious evangelical Christian upbringing and um, 
and you know had it it wasn't it was not like the sherry shriner group you know but um i do understand what it's like to be very involved with the belief system and um have it sort of impact every decision that you make in your life and so i you know i felt when i was particularly when i was researching kelly pengilly's story I just felt such a kinship to her. Like, I just felt like there was no part of me really that felt like she was crazy. Um, and, and maybe she, I mean, I think maybe she did have some mental health struggles and that her family and friends said that as well. But I do think that I just, I, I understand what it's like to get so immersed in a spiritual world that you can lose yourself. And so I um, had a lot of empathy for her when I was researching her story, it's a very sad story because she ended up, you know, dying by suicide, but, um, you know, and so I just, I wanted people to hear her story and not separate themselves, not other her, but instead imagine, you know, what it would be like to be her. And so I shared a little bit of my personal story in hopes that it would do that. I, um, yeah, I wasn't, I was kind of on the fence on, whether to talk more about it and bring it back. But really, I just kind of felt like I only wanted to share it when I felt like it was really relevant, I suppose. I've been talking with Hannah Smith. Smith is a writer, producer, and host of The Opportunist, which debuted in February. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in one minute. This is Gangry the Podcast. Gangaray the Podcast is brought to you by the digital journalism and sports media programs at Fairfield University. Digital journalism is designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to succeed in today's quickly changing media world. Students take courses in everything from big data storytelling to podcasting to narrative journalism and more. Sports media is a new major that prepares students to work anywhere sports-related content is produced. Students take courses in journalism and broadcast communication. They can also take courses in public relations, film, and more. To learn more about the digital journalism and sports media programs, visit www.fairfield.edu. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. I'm talking with Hannah Smith, who just completed the first season of a new podcast called The Opportunist, which is part of Cast Media. So uh, I'm curious, uh, because I think I mentioned to you before we started um, the show officially that that um, you're the first person I've had on the show who is a straight up, it's a straight up podcast, right? It's not a podcast that's also tied to a written series um, like I've had with Leah Satilli and uh, Christopher Gofford, um, uh, way too long ago at this point in time. Um, so obviously you're not sitting there doing it all by yourself, which is kind of like what I do. <laughs> I'm here all by myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious about like, who are the other people who helped pull this all together and kind of what are you, what's it all like to, to pull something as big as this story together? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. So yeah, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me. I have, it was a small team though. You know, um, basically there were like, f 
you know, basically me and um, my associate producer, Kate, did did the most the bulk of the day to day as far as doing the research, doing the interviews, um, doing all of that, that type of production aspect. And then uh, Matt, uh, Matt Sewell is, uh, was our editor and mix, he mixed and mastered the show. He's fantastic. And so, um, you know, he was a huge help. And then our executive producer, Colin Thompson, um, was really helpful as far as um, talking about story. He helped with the story structure and um, the episodes and giving story feedback. He also did the music for the show. Everybody did multiple roles <laughs> as happens when you're, when you have a very small um, crew of people. Um, I should say Kate Mays. I didn't say Kate's last name, Kate Mays. Um, and Kate, Kate has a, um, um, a degree in journalism and they're really amazing at research and what they were just an incredible asset um, as well. So, but one of the things, you know, I guess, I guess I'll talk about, yeah, how you approach like, or how we approached um, the story structure for something this massive, because, you know, we just had, first of all, we had the hours and hours of Sherry talk radio. There were, there were so many interesting things about this story that we really, I felt I really ran the risk of going down too many rabbit holes and getting too distracted. So the story structure was incredibly important. And, um, one of the things I did when I, like, before I started writing it was I thought about, you know, what are the main questions that I think need to be answered and what are, what, what's one of the main questions that I've always had in my mind as I've been researching. And I think, you know, the overarching question that I wanted to make sure was answered or that addressed was, is it possible that, that this woman in Ohio who's never met this man who was murdered in Pennsylvania, like, is, is it possible that she is somehow responsible for his death? You know, because that just seems wildly unconnected. So I tried that, like, that was sort of a guiding um, principle for me. I wanted to, and that was helpful in cutting out any information, any uh, content that was interesting, but I, that was my metric of like, is this actually going to help answer that question? Or is this just an interesting little sidebar? Um, and so that was super helpful. As far as the story structure goes, you know, um, maybe you've read, I have it here, this incredible book out on the, out on the wire. Yes. I have that book on my shelf right behind <laughs> <Yeah>. me. So <laughs> I love this book, uh, by, um, Jessica Abel and I reference it a lot. And there's a section about story structure in that book. And I think that she's interviewing Ira Glass and, he just is like, I mean, chronological is a really good place to start, you know? And um, so that was sort of how I first uh, decided on the broad structure was just, I just went chronologically um, because, you know, we have, we can follow Sherry from 2005 all the way to 2018 um, and her interactions with different Oregon warriors. And because the murder, the main murder that we talk about happened, uh, in 2017, it kind of worked out that way as we were building towards that. And then once I had that down, um, then I was able to move things around based on, you know, character development, um, and my main, and my question, my guiding question. Um, 
And then also, you know, once I started building out the episodes, it was really a matter of tape. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the things that's different about writing a narrative podcast versus writing other types of writing is that you're always writing to the tape, right? Um, and so I let the tape guide me. Um, the tape is the most important thing, I think. So really uh, organizing our tape and finding the tape that is, I think, the most compelling, um, gonna really um, tell the story the best and using that as the first sort of bit of writing. Like I always um, gather the tape and bring that in. And that's really how I start writing an episode is through the tape. Yeah, no, I love I love that book. I actually require it of my podcasting class, uh, which I'm teaching this semester. Amazing. Uh, it's, it is. It's amazing. And it taught me more about podcasting than anything else. So um, Same. especially the story, especially the storytelling end mm -hmm. and, and the fact that you're so reliant upon on the tape. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where the writing um, that's where the right you, you write you write to and yes. not uh, around. Um, had you done had you done any writing on any uh, uh, podcast or audio project this big before, or is this the kind of the biggest writing project you've done? Yeah, this was definitely the biggest writing project I've done. Uh, I've done um, individual episodes. I also did a, a a very short. Yeah, I mean, like I think like I did like a two episode mini series uh, that was sort of investigative journalism type stuff before, but. Um, never something quite this, this large. Yeah. So it was definitely, it was definitely intimidating, um, at first, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just, it's not, I mean, it is very different than writing one episode, but I had written so much in the same style that I knew that I could, I don't know. I knew I could, I could, I could do it, I guess. And I also had, I had great support from, from cast media and from my team. And even though we were small, you know, um, that makes a huge difference, how much support you have, you know, everyone was wonderful. Everyone, I just, I don't know, having a good team to me makes such a difference. Everybody be willing to just jump in, kind of leave their ego at the door and help out or figure out what the best way to tell the story is people that are excited about storytelling. Um, it was, that's a huge help. I mean, I could never have done this on my own. Um, and so the support and the help really was, was so essential. And then we would have these, you know, group editing sessions together, well, through zoom, you know, because of the pandemic, but that was so great too. And so fun, um, to listen through and make edits and suggestions and work on it together, you know, after we had like the first cut and, um, yeah, I think that's that's super helpful. I'm 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 such a believer in like teamwork. Um, you know, I know everyone works differently, and obviously, any you can also make something on your own. I spent many years, especially when I was first trying to learn how to make stories like this, just making things on my own, just taking my phone out, recording interviews, cutting things together. Um, you could totally do it, but it's such a pleasure to have community and work with other, and you know talented, uh, hardworking people. Um, I think it only increases the quality of, of the storytelling. So when the first episode went live, were you mm -hmm. still working on forthcoming episodes? <laughs> yeah. Yes, we were. <laughs> uh, and that's not ideal, I guess. Um, but 
But yeah, I think because this was the first season that we did together as a team too, we were still learning our systems, how to work together. Uh, so I think going into the next season, we, we just have that down so much better. And not to say that we won't be making edits and tweaks of you know forthcoming episodes when the earlier ones are out, but um, it was a bit of, there was, yeah, there were times it was a bit of a scramble for sure. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, cause I was going to ask like why, um, uh, you know, cause sometimes pot, like, uh, um, a podcast like this, they'll just throw all the episodes out at once and then, mm -hmm. but others are doing it week by week and, and, and for a variety of reasons. So I was kind of curious, but I, 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 I can't imagine, uh, I, it's, it, it comes off. Well, I don't know how you're able to pull that off when you're still going from week to week. So that's pretty amazing. Very stressful. I would not recommend it, <laughs> but, uh, we did it, but you know, one of the things that was actually kind of a benefit to that was that, um, once some of the episodes started coming out, there were people that started reaching out to me. And there was, there's even an interview in the show of uh, a guy that was, who knew Stephen Mineo and was uh, kind of involved with the Oregon Warriors for a little bit, who I had never heard of, never met. And he reached out to me after he heard um, some of the episodes and we ended up, he, I love the interview. It's like one of my favorite interviews. And so you know, that is kind of a benefit. Once you start putting stuff out there, people hear about it and then they start interacting with you. And that can be, you know, a good thing. How did you get into podcasting? I think I started out like so many people as just a fan of it. Um, I, well, I have a background in writing. Um, I've always enjoyed writing and taking writing classes here and there and in college. And, um, but I never thought about writing for audio. And then I think it was just, I just um, became such a fan of podcasts. Yeah. And then I remember, because um, I live in Los Angeles, and when I was first living in Los Angeles, I had a totally different job. I was working in a very different field. And it was fine, but I wasn't, I don't know, It was. I just wasn't thrilled with it. And part of my job was that I had to spent a lot of time in my car driving around Los Angeles doing like errands. And um, I would just listen to podcasts constantly. I was listening to podcasts all the time. And it was like my happy place because I didn't love my job. And I didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and then one day a friend of mine was like, well, you're a writer and you love podcasts. So why don't, have you ever thought about making podcasts? And I was like, huh, that seems super obvious. I don't know why I've literally never thought of that before. Um, and so I just started um, thinking about writing for audio, taking some classes um, here and there. And, you know, there's so many amazing resources online available just wherever. Like we talked about Out in the Wire, the book, got that book, read it, um, started reading articles on like Transom's website and taking classes and then just started making things. Um, and uh, for a long time, it was just sort of me making things for fun. Um, and then I uh, eventually started getting freelance work and that's how I kind of worked my way into it. Yeah. Have you, uh, what are some of the other uh, podcasts that you've worked on? Um, so I worked for um, a network in Los Angeles called Maximum Fun for many years. They mostly do like comedy and interview podcasts. Um, I worked on a parenting show, One Bad Mother, um, they're really excellent. I worked for um, Judge John Hodgman podcast. Um, I worked, I did a bunch of 
sort of, I've worked for a bunch of independent shows. Uh, I worked on several like cannabis news shows um, that were happening like after legalization in California. So that was more like reporting and news type of shows. Um, I've done a fiction podcast, which was a lot of fun. That was an independent project with a local producer and writer. Um, but that was really fun. I, I'd always wanted to work on a fiction podcast. I love fiction podcasts. I'm excited to see like, you know, more growth in that area. Um, and then I just made my own stuff. I, I did like a sort of narrative storytelling podcast of my own that I did several episodes of years ago called You at Home that was uh, explored uh, the relationship people have with inanimate objects and how those can tell us stories in our lives. So, I mean, really it's been a lot of um, independent stuff, working on my own independent things and working for other independent shows. Um, Is this the first time that you've done a lot of the voice work as well or no? Yeah, I, I have done voice work for my own podcasts in the past. And then I also, you know, I also started getting involved with um, live storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I have done a little bit of that and I work with, I've, I've done work with an amazing um, coach named um, Joshua Townsend and he has helped me so much. Uh, he works with people on story development, but also on performance. And his, he's really amazing at um, like audio storytelling, vocal performance. And he has helped me in the past when I was, when I've done like live storytelling events. And then when I got this job, I reached back out to him and we did some, some sessions together because um, yeah, I just think it's a really important part of, of podcasting and storytelling. I think that's the one part where I'm really bad at. So oh, really? <laughs> some, at some point in time, maybe I'll, I'll be doing some sort of story podcasting and I'll have to get some training so people can understand every word that I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. It's, it's so hard. It's hard, right? I think people don't realize how, how difficult it really it is. is. It is, especially yeah. when I go back to listen to my first episodes from like the, from 2013. Yeah. Um, they're, they're scary, I, but I keep them up there just so people know. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the opportunist, uh, is going to have a second season starting, mm -hmm. I think in June. Is that correct? Yes. Can you yeah, tell, in June. Can, can you tell me about it? What this, what this new season is going to be about? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, I, uh, I don't think they want me to give specifics yet, but um, it's going to be a new opportunist entirely. So um, we're going to focus on a new person and we're kind of, we're changing up the style of the show a little bit. It's going to be very similar still, you know, interviews and research based with narrative, you know, storytelling, but we're going to do shorter seasons. So this next, this next season is probably going to be four episodes. So it's going to be a little shorter. Um, which I think is going to be a little more manageable for us to do more seasons throughout the year. And what can I say about this new one? It's a very different story. Yeah, I actually, I don't know how much I really can maybe say Maybe you shouldn't it. say anymore, and maybe we'll just have to be uh, <laughs> hanging out here and waiting. Uh, but uh, Hannah, thank you so much for uh, visiting with me on the podcast, uh, part of the opportunist at Cast Media. Uh, and we'll be waiting for season the the next season to start. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Matt. This has been such a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be here. So thanks again.
I've been talking with Hannah Smith. Smith is a writer, producer, and host of the first season of a new podcast called The Opportunist. As usual, I've linked to several of the podcasts that Smith has worked on at our website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, the podcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in the Integrated Media Labs at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the digital journalism and sports media programs, as well as the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield U. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.